Okay, you ready to study the scripture? All right, get your Bibles out and a notebook and uh, a pen and turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. As you know, we've been going through a study called Conversations with God where we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we're going to dive back into that. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And he's instructing them. He says, when you pray, I want you to say these things. I want you to say, our Father. Jesus begins with defining the relationship. Who is it that you're talking to? You're talking to your dad. It's a problem in our culture because so many of you and, and I, we've had difficult situations with our fathers. So sometimes that, that seems more threatening than anything else. But what Jesus is trying to say is you have a father and he loves you deeply. He's for you. Your relationship with him is family. And he goes to the next phrase and he says, hallowed be your name. Not only is he your father, but you want to let him know that he is uniquely loved by you, that he is respected, he's honored. You honor him, you revere his name. And as you do that, as you worship him, you're, you're defining what you think about him. So our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Essentially what you're saying with that phrase is, Jesus is teaching us to say, God, your kingdom is coming. How is it coming? Where is it coming? What are you doing on the earth and how can I cooperate with it? How can I cooperate with what you're already doing? That's what let your kingdom come, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven means. And this is such an important idea because as you, we, we, we're starting to pray this prayer and we've entered into this prayer that Jesus is teaching and we haven't gotten to anything that we think. None of our lists, none, we, have, we haven't gotten there yet. What Jesus is teaching his disciples how to do, I think, is how to be in prayer what they're supposed to be in life. You ever get annoyed by the person who's always talking about themselves? This prayer is teaching us how not to talk about ourselves. He's teaching us manners. This is your father. You respect and love him. And then you say, God, what is it that you want to do? What, what are you trying to accomplish and how can I cooperate with that? It's not all about you. It's about what he's doing. And you're involving yourself in what he's doing. And then ultimately you get to the next phrase, give us today our daily bread. He wasn't stuttering when he said today twice. He was talking about two things, when and how much. Give me today my daily bread. That means God knows when you need it, and he knows how much you need. And when you pray with that confidence, it's a different thing. You rely on him for bread. You don't rely on yourself. You don't rely on your paycheck. You're not relying on your own ability to produce something. You rely on him. And then it leads to the next phrase, which is, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. <laughs> it's amazing to me how he didn't start the prayer with, oh God, forgive us, because we're such worms. Many of you, you start your prayer with, oh God, forgive me, I'm just so terrible, so awful. You're not supposed to start a prayer with that. And here's the reason, because you can't really understand how God deals with your failures until you understand how good he really is. You have, to, you have to make yourself aware of his goodness before he can deal with your badness. 
There's something that you have to realize you need saving from, of course, but he's the one to save you from it. And so you, as you ask for forgiveness, he forgives you and you commit to let that overflow out of your life into others. We talked about that last week and then here this week, now we're getting to the phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then of course it finishes with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want to deal with this phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, when you first look at this phrase, it, it can feel a little bit confusing. Lead us not into temptation. Jesus is teaching us how to have a framework and a pattern for prayer. So this is a subject he wants you to pray about. He wants you to pray about temptation. He wants you to pray about evil. He wants you to pray about what's happening to you. But when you say it, it seems a little bit like you might be saying, um, God, you want to lead me into temptation, so please don't do that. Uh, it might seem confusing because you, all, all on the face of it, you kind of want to say, do I have to talk God out of leading me into temptation? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I want you to include me in what's going on in your life, whatever temptation you face. I want you to lead me in the middle of it. There's something really powerful here that you have to get first off, and that is God does not tempt people with any kind of sin. God doesn't tempt people with any kind of sin. None of us get tempted by God with the dangling of sinfulness in front of us. God is not some mean kid on an anthill with a magnifying glass burning us like ants. That's so many people's picture of God, but it is not an accurate picture from the scriptures. I want you to turn over in your Bibles to James chapter 1. Turn to James chapter 1. We're going we're gonna to go back and forth between Luke and James. All right? So those two places, Luke 4 and James 1. You can go, go get those two spots if you want to. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God does not tempt anyone with evil, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away. Key phrase right here, dragged away. You should underline that. Underline that in your Bible. Dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. We're dragged away by our own evil desires and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to death. Uh, sorry, to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So what that means is the desire comes out of you. It doesn't come from God. That desire to sin, it, it entices you to something, and then suddenly that gives birth to sin, and when sin grows up, it kills you. When sin grows up, it kills you. If you let it keep growing in your life, it will kill you. Verse 16, look at what it says. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived. Don't... Don't think incorrectly about this. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So many people in our world get stuck at this point. Something bad happens in their lives. They're, they're consumed by an addiction or by some kind of trial or some kind of temptation, and they shake their fists at God and say, God, why are you doing this to me? And they have it backwards. They have it backwards. That, that it is not God doing it to them. 
It is something that comes out of the evil of our own hearts. I, I use this illustration a lot, but I think it's true. You do not have to teach a two-year-old how to be selfish. It just comes naturally. There is enough injustice in this world. There is enough evil running rampant in people to influence others, people who violate other people. We, we don't have to blame this on God. People say, well, man, he could stop it if he wanted to. And here's the thing. He will. There is a day when he will. And what we're doing here now is we're bringing his kingdom into this place from heaven to earth. That's part of this prayer. We're bringing his kingdom into this place by his inhabiting our own hearts. But we have to get this straight. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He is the sun. The sun erases every shadow. He's not shifting. He's not moving back and forth. No, God has good things, and he does not tempt with evil. He has good gifts for you and for me. And what, are, what do you think those gifts are? I want you to think about this for a second. As a believer, as a Christian, Think about what he's given us. He's given us the authority of the name of Jesus. You know, Jesus said, you can pray in my name. You can agree for anything. The authority of the name of Jesus. That may, you know, it's not just an ending to a prayer. <laughs> it's not just a good way to end. And we close by saying, in the name of Jesus, amen. No, in the name of Jesus means you're in the family. You get to use his authority. You don't have to schlep your way up to the throne. <laughs> God, if you could just do something for me, maybe sometime. Hebrews says we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy in our time of need. We can come boldly because the name of Jesus has been given to us. You, it means you're in the family. He's given you his authority. You're not praying in the name of your own authority. In the name of Ross Parsley, I pray. That'll get you nothing. Maybe a cup of coffee. But the authority of the name of Jesus, he's given us the grace that is only found in the blood of Jesus to wash away our sins, to cleanse our conscience from every act that leads to death. He's given us the work of Christ, the truth of God's word. He's given us all of the wisdom of God's word over and over again. The miracle of this book, it's sharp, it's powerful, it cuts between soul and spirit is what Hebrews says. It te teaches us what's right and wrong. He's given us the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. He's given you all the gifts that the Spirit has for you. All kinds of gifts, all kinds of power that he wants you to have. The amazing thing about this to me as I think about it is, Jesus told his disciples, he said, I'm going away and I'm gonna send you somebody better than me. And they couldn't imagine that because being with Jesus was pretty awesome. But he, his, the idea was God inhabiting each human. Inhab God, God inhabiting a person. How do we contain him? Seems like we would just bust apart. But he, that's his plan, to live inside of each one of us with his power, with his strength, with his gifts, the strength of a community of believers around you. No one is made to be isolated. We weren't designed to be alone, to live life alone. We are supposed to belong to a community of people who will help us, who will walk with us. And then there's the love of the heavenly father, the overpowering, unrelenting love of God.
these are the things he's given us. These are the good things. Somehow in the trials and the testing of life, what happens? We forget about all the good things he's given us. We get distracted by these trials. God never tempts us with evil, but I tell you what he wants to do. He wants to walk with you through the test, through the trial. He wants to walk with you, not dangle evil in front of you, but he does give you a choice, a decision. God never leads us towards sin, but he may lead us through trials and testing. You think about Psalm 23, known the world over, quoted by so many people. There's a passage in Psalm 23. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I walk through this darkness, even though I'm walking through, death is right all around me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does it say? I will fear no no evil. Why? For thou art with me, because you are with me. Here's the thing. What we're talking about is not avoiding problems, avoiding trials. What we're talking about here is not praying so we can get rid of trials. I just need to pray. I just need to pray and get rid of this stuff. Isn't that the reason to pray? To have, have it better? Yeah, sure, on some level. I don't, even, I don't think God minds us praying, God, oh, please help us get rid of this stuff. But getting rid of trials is not anything that's going to happen before heaven. So there's something here. God is with you when he says, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. What we're talking about here is evil. You don't have to fear evil taking over your heart, evil taking over your mind, evil coming and taking over your life. What we're talking about is God's protection, his strength, and his deliverance, even through the valley of the shadow of death. That's the, that's the thing we're identifying here. Jesus is saying in the Lord's Prayer, I want you to pray about this. Now, here's how it really works. Trouble comes from the outside and is trying to get in. Trouble comes from the outside. Jesus said, he promised it, John 16, he said, in this world you will have trouble. But then he said, but take heart. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Sometimes it takes faith to believe that Jesus is really overcoming because we don't see it. The Bible teaches us to walk by faith and not by sight. There's something that reaches beyond our, our existence here and believes in what Christ is doing on the inside of us and on the, on the inside of others and in the earth as he's orchestrating his will and purpose and plan. It takes a leap of faith sometimes, no doubt. Trouble is on the outside, it's trying to get in. Evil is on the inside, trying to get out. <laughs> That's what James says. It's on the inside, trying to get out. If you, if you look at what happened to Jesus in Luke chapter four, go over there in Luke four. All the way over to Luke chapter 4. What you'll see is Jesus going through a similar process as we go through. Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, theological idea here that's important to understand. With Jesus, he didn't have a sinful nature, which is why the devil had to come there to tempt him. With us, it's, uh, it comes from right in here. <laughs> it's part of who we are. And then we are renewed. We are made into a new creation. 
And then there's a war between the flesh and the spirit. And that war is going on. But make no mistake, Jesus presents a picture here that we can understand how it works with us. Look at, look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Why was he at the Jordan? He was being baptized. Incredible event. The sky opens up. The Holy Spirit comes out of heaven like a dove and lands on him. And then there's this huge voice that says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The baptism of Jesus, this, it's, it's incredible what happens here. And for everyone to hear, for everyone to see, this is Jesus and he's being anointed by God, blessed by the Holy Spirit and launched into ministry, launched into three years of miracles and incredible signs and wonders. Not so fast. That's not where he goes. I don't love this theology, but here it is. He returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Ugh. You mean the Spirit can lead us into the desert? That's not good. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you into a wilderness place. There's no doubt about that. I think we see the picture from the very beginning. God leading his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they go through the wilderness and they're on their way to the promised land. The, there's no doubt the, the land that he has planned and prepared for them is so good, but there is a wilderness between. And he leads them through it. And, and he, as he leads them through it, what is he teaching them? He's teaching them about his provision. He's teaching them about his grace and his love for them. He's training them how to be a people after his heart. That's what he's doing there. It's the same with us. Jesus, he goes into the wilderness, into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was angry, hungry. He was <laughs> angry and hungry. I have no doubt. And then the devil tempts him with these three ideas that are common to all of us. First John 2.16 talks about it. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's these three ideas that are in this temptation of Jesus. The first temptation is he's hungry, 40 days, and, and the devil comes to him and says, make these stones into bread. Now, listen, could Jesus have done it? <laughs> yeah, that's why it was a temptation. <laughs> if he couldn't have done it, then it wasn't a temptation. But isn't it interesting that the idea here is that Jesus doesn't use the power that he has. He doesn't use the power that he possesses. He instead relies on obedience and the directives of his Father, the directive of the Holy Spirit. He adheres to obedience and to the power of God to provide for him. It's the same with you and me. When we're tempted, there is, the temptation revolves around this idea, will you rely on God and his power to intervene, or will you just rely on your own strength to get it done, to get what you want, to feed your hunger? Now listen, trials, trials, and when we look at this word in the prayer, temptation, it can mean trial or testing. They're interchangeable, and sometimes you have to look at the context of the, of the passage to see. But listen, there's something here about understanding trials lead us into temptation often. Because a trial comes, and then we're tempted to respond poorly. A temptation may come, and that will yield 
to a trial. Choosing the wrong road when a temptation comes often results in a trial. And, and I want you to understand that God knows this. That's why he's including it in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, how to pray about this. Jesus is being tempted here, as Hebrew says, in every way like we are, and yet without sin. And so there's something here that we, that we learn as we go through this, that this prayer is not just about asking God to keep us from harm, although it is. Don't, God, keep us from temptation. Keep, from te- keep temptation from overwhelming us, from consuming us. Help us. But it's also about experiencing God's strength and deliverance in the midst of the temptation or the trial. It's about including him in where you are. Maybe a better translation of the phrase, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, would be this. Lord, should I at any point be tempted by the enemy or led through a test or a trial by you, I want to come out delivered and victorious. That's my prayer. I know that I may face these things. I know that life is full of these trials, but as I go through them, Lord, I include you. I need you. I know that you only, only you can deliver me and make me victorious. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I know how weak I am, and I need you to remind me of how strong you are. I know how weak I am. Remind me of how strong you are. Only you have the strength that I need to battle temptation. Only you have the power to deliver me from the evil one. There is a sense at which Jesus is teaching us about just surrendering to weakness. If you think about the beginning of the prayer and saying, Our Father, what that puts you in the position of being a child, a vulnerable, weak child. The last phrase of the prayer returns us to this moment and says, I can't do this without you. Temptation is is too strong for me. I'm too weak and and I need you. Only you can deliver me from the evil. And look at what the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. I'll put it up here on the screen. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in, what does it say? In weakness, God's power is made perfect in weakness. When you say, I can handle it, I can do it myself, it doesn't matter, then God's power, hard to find. As soon as you say, I'm weak and I need you, his power shows up. Well, Pastor Roz, aren't I supposed to like be a great man or woman of faith? But, but listen, faith is about what you have to exert and demonstrate in the midst of doubt. These people who say that, there isn't, that they don't have any doubt, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it really works this way. If you don't have any doubt, you don't need any faith. <laughs> if there's no question, then you'd, how, do you, how do you have faith? Listen, this life, until we see Jesus coming in the clouds, there is going to be an, an element of our lives that must be filled with faith, a leap, a, a looking, a reaching towards God that says, I, I, I trust you, even in the face of, of my own doubt, even in the face of what doesn't look very good right now. That's the way it works. 
that's what it is. That's the power of faith. Paul is saying here, God's grace is sufficient for you when you admit your weakness. His power shows up. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'm going to brag about how weak I am because that's when God really shows up. That's what the Lord's Prayer is really about, is you saying, okay, it's all you, and I just need to rely on you. Look what he says in verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. What? I, I don't delight in these things. These are not fun things. And listen, the Apostle Paul, if anybody knew about him, it was him. I mean, beaten and shipwrecked and just mistreated and just all these things. I mean, how, does, how is that the overcoming life? Well, it's overcoming because he found something in the midst of all those things. He found the unrelenting love and power of God. Because he says, he finishes this phrase. He says, well, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Look at what he said in... In 1 Corinthians 10, in his first letter to the Corinthian church, he said, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Look, everybody experiences it. We've all experienced it. This is a common thing because we live on the earth. We are humans, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. Oh, that's what I was looking for, a way out. I just need a way out. Oh, wait. Oh, finish the phrase. Wait. A way out so that you can endure it. Ooh, that is not what I was looking for. So that you can endure it. God knows how weak we are. He just wants you to admit, to know, to realize how deeply you need him. Temptations typically have two results, right? There's one result or the other. One result is the enemy will break through our defenses and lead us away from God's will. That's one result. The other result is that we will gain greater strength through an encounter with the enemy. We will figure out his plans. We will figure out his schemes. Listen, the devil doesn't have any new tricks. He's got two, right? He's got two tricks, all right? One is about fear and control. Like you're afraid something bad's gonna happen to you and that fear just kind of drives you. He's the author of that and then doubt is the other one. Oh, God didn't really say he's gonna come and help you. There, there is no way that evil, evil is going to take over and you just can't believe. He just applies them in different places in your life over and over and over again. It's a scheme that's so obvious and yet we seem to fall for it over and over and over again. See, this is why Jesus was teaching in the Lord's Prayer. I want you to pray, Lord, I need you to be right there. I'm so weak in the face of temptation, and I need your strength and deliverance to overcome the evil one. Go over to James. Back to James. Back to James. Can you go over there from Luke back to James? And we're going to look at the passage just before the passage we read earlier, all right? And here's what it says. It says in verse 2 of chapter 1, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? <laughs> I don't want to consider it joy. How do I do that? It's so amazing to watch people go through difficulty in their lives and find a deep satisfaction in God that they didn't know before. 
It's amazing to watch it. I've experienced it in my own life. A deep, dark valley that I've had to walk through and finding God in the midst of that valley that I wouldn't trade for anything else. It made me into the person that sits here today. This is the kind of joy that James is talking about. There's joy because, verse 3, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I didn't really want to sign up for perseverance. Couldn't we just, like, do something else? Like, can't we just deal with love? Like, love's way easier. (laughs) Perseverance, that sounds hard. That sounds like hard work. I have to endure something. Verse 4 says, let perseverance finish its work. Oh, man, it's not just quick. It doesn't just, like, happen, like, and it's over. It's not like a painless shot or a painful shot, and you take it once, and then you're over. No, it's, it's a working out. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Think about that. Mature, complete, not lacking anything. I want that. Unfortunately, i got to go through perseverance to get it. Nothing, nothing worse than a person that you think should be mature and complete, not lacking anything, really acting like a, a baby, <laughs> whining and crying, shaking their fist at God. When it doesn't have anything to do with what God's done to them, it's all about their immaturity, their foolishness. Notice the context. He's saying, consider it pure joy because perseverance is being developed in you and perseverance got to finish so that you can become the people God wants you to be. And then, listen, if you don't know how to deal with this, if this is really hard for you, then ask God. If you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So many times we just kind of move on by. Oh, I guess I got to deal with perseverance. It's like we don't even ask God, well, I guess this is just my lot in life. Oh, God, help me. I just don't know what to do. Pray, God, I need wisdom for this thing at work. I don't know how to deal with this person. Only you can give me the understanding. Only you can give me revelation. You can give me a supernatural idea of how to deal with this person. There's something about this. God wants to give generously without finding fault. He's not going to say, yeah, but you didn't do this and you didn't do that. I'm going to hold this back here until you figure it out. <laughs> no, that's, that's not a loving father. That's, that's something else you have in your mind. Verse 6 says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. There it is again. There's that scheme of the enemy. Because the one who doubts is like a wave, a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Unstable in all they do. Here's what happens when the enemy wins. The strategy of our enemy, you have to understand there's two things. He, one of two things he wants to happen, all right? One is he wants you to be full of, your, full of arrogance, In other words, he'll let you keep going and winning and you'll have confidence in your own strength. Confidence in your own ability to pull everything off. And that only lasts a little while and then everything will go, everything will go away. Everything will go into the toilet and then you'll be thinking to yourself, I I had it all and I lost it. He He wants you full of arrogance, full of your convincing that you are able, confidence in your own strength, or he wants you full of depression, hopeless in the midst of your own strength. 
He wants you, he wants you depressed because you're no good, because you're hopeless. There's no way you can get out of the situation you're in. God wants the opposite for you. He wants you full of hope. And he wants you full of humility. He wants you to acknowledge that we surrender to him. Listen, and he's strategic. If you look back at Luke chapter uh, 4, um, I'll just go back there real quick. Luke chapter 4, you'll see that at the end of Jesus' testing, when he was going through this thing with the devil, you see in verse 13, look at this. He says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Listen, the devil's coming back. Living in the Lord's Prayer means being aware of the temptations, being aware that this is a subject you're going to have to revisit over and over again with God. You're including him in the temptation of your life, in what's going on with you. Help me, Lord, face these temptations. Help deliver me. Look at the next verse. Verse 14 says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. If you notice in verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. In verse 14, it says he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He returned from these 40 days in the wilderness, full of God's power. He had resisted the temptation. He had learned the tricks of the enemy. He had spoken to the devil and used the word of God each time, and something had happened to him. It ushered in three years of miracles and ministry. Sometimes we want the miracles and ministry, and we don't ever want to go to the wilderness. God has a design. He has a purpose, and he wants to be there in the midst of your temptation and in the midst of the schemes of the evil one. So what should we do? <laughs> what do we do? I want to give you a few things. I want to give you five things that you just write down that I want you to do that I think help in this figuring out temptation, figuring out what's what and how this works. James 4, 7 says this. It says, submit yourselves then to God. We're back to James. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. A lot of people want to resist the devil, but they refuse to submit to God. <laughs> I want to resist all the evil schemes of the enemy, but I'm really not interested in submitting all the way. There's so many areas of our lives where that comes into play. Everything from our marriage to our finances to the way we interact with one another. Submit yourselves to God and resist the devil. Then he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Well, that sounds like a party. <laughs> what is he saying? What is he, why, why is he saying this? He says, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. What's he He's talking about taking this as serious business. This is real. You're in a real battle. This is a real war for your soul. And he's saying, I want you to humble yourself. Take it seriously and humble yourself before the Lord. Because if you humble yourself, verse 10, then he will lift you up. Yeah. You don't lift yourself up. He, he lifts you out of your temptation. He lifts you in the trial. He lifts you out of it. And he, you look back and you go, wow, I can't believe I, went, I made it through that. God, how did you do that? And your faith is built because you look back and see what he did in the midst of it. In the valley of the shadow of death, he was doing something in you. 
But it's so important for us to understand that this is, God is not angry. He's not, he's not mean. He's not trying to get at you. No, there's something else going on here. So as you submit yourself to God, as you resist the enemy, as you work together to wash your hands and purify your hearts, as you humble yourself, here's the five things. Number one, have no confidence in your own strength to fight temptation. That's humility. Have no confidence in your own strength to fight temptation. The people that think, oh, I got this. I got it. I got it. Yeah, I used to have a problem with that, but now I I don't have that problem anymore. That's just totally cool. Yeah. Bam, that's when you're going to get hit right in the face. The devil's coming around at an opportune time. Listen, he doesn't play fair. He gets you at your weakest. He strategizes to try to get to you at just the time when you're not ready for it, when you are not prepared for it. It's not fair. You're at the lowest point of your life, and he comes in, and he whispers to you. Have no confidence in your own strength to fight temptation. And you know, you know why that's so important? Because that means you're going to rely on God. Number two, Have full confidence, faith, that God will deliver you from evil. Evil can't have you. No matter how dark the valley is, no matter how how much the struggle gets a hold of you, evil cannot consume you. Evil cannot overtake you. You're God's son. You're God's daughter. This is something we don't believe very strongly. Somehow we think we're at risk. But having faith is believing that God will deliver us from evil. Number three, live in the Lord's prayer every day. This has got to be a constant dialogue. I often talk to Christians who are going through a very difficult time. And one of my first questions will be, so how's your prayer life? Well, yeah, it kind of went away when all this stuff started to happen. I just couldn't talk to him. I'm so mad at him. Actually, that's... That's actually a common experience. If you look at the Psalms, you'll see it. Psalm 13, you know how it starts? I'm not, tell, I'm not saying you can't be honest with God. We need to be honest with God, but you need to pray. You need to pray this prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a framework. You need to pray it. Pray through these subjects. Pray through these ideas. Psalm 13, here's what it says. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? Every day? Forever? That's what it says. Forever? But here's the thing about the Psalms. When you read them, you see them start like this, and then there's a pivot point. There's always a moment in the Psalm when it kind of turns. You know what it says at the end of Psalm 13? It says, but I trust in your unfailing love, O God. Like, how long are you going to forget me? Can I, like, tell you how much this bothers me? This isn't right. And then, but here's what I'm going to do, and here's how I'm going to respond to you, God. Because I, because I have faith. I, I, I believe in who you are. It's relationship with God. You're including him. You're inviting him into the temptation. You're inviting him into the process. Number four, you've got to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. We're looking at James chapter four, verse seven. But if we go one more chapter in 516, here's what it says. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, here's the thing I want to tell you. Here's the big idea I want you to see. If you confess your temptations more often, you won't need to confess so many sins. If you'll talk to God and to your, to your community about what you're facing and the temptation. See, this is how the devil gets us. He isolates us, alienates us, and then we're going through it alone, and then we succumb to the temptation. But if you're talking about it, if you're willing to confess it, 
If you're willing to confess your temptations, you don't confess as many sins because it's out there in front of you. You get, out, you get it out of here and out here. And you include somebody else in the process. You include a friend, a brother, a sister, and they're walking with you. There's protection in that. There's community there. What we don't confess, if we don't, whatever we don't confess, we don't allow God's grace in to shape and transform us. Whatever we're unwilling to confess. Here's how, here's how it works. At first, you repent of all your actions. Right? Your, it's the actions that are so obvious, so glaring. At first, you repent of those actions. You confess those actions. And little by little, as God changes you, it turns to confessing the thoughts that lead to the actions. And as you do that, you get stronger and stronger. And then number five, you have to believe that God has only good in mind for you, that he loves you deeply, that he is a loving heavenly father. Amen. Romans eight twenty eight. you know, it's this famous passage that lots of people know, but I, I don't think we should undersell it because it's so widely known. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who, what? <laughs> to those who shake their fists at him, blame him for everything. No, no, for those who love God, those who love him and are those who are called according to his purpose. Believe that God only has good in mind for you. He only will make whatever is happening in your life, he will take it and make it into something good for you. This, this last thing, just an idea, and I want you to think about this for a second. When we ask for God to spare us, when we ask for God to spare us from trials, and he does, most of the time, we're not going to know it because he spared us. We ask him to spare us. You don't know how many things he spared you when you asked him in prayer. When you prayed about temptations in your life and he took them away because you didn't even see them come up to you. Listen, all of us are surrounded by trouble. There's no way for us to get around that. We are all going to face trials, but there are so many things you don't know that you haven't faced because you prayed and God did it for you and you, you don't even realize it. This is the difference between focusing on faith and gratitude versus focusing on the, the struggle and the issues that, you, you're, that you're wrestling with. Why doesn't God get rid of these things? Well, you don't know how many things he got rid of for you. The great theologian Dallas Willard, he said this, we should understand that God will usually spare us from trials, especially if we're living in the Lord's prayer, talking about it. And we should also understand that when trials are permitted, it only means that he has something better in mind for us than freedom from trials. He has something better in mind for us than freedom from trials. If we could get that, we could settle this issue in our lives. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. Just, I, I want you to let the Lord speak to you about your temptations, about your trials. Some of you are facing great temptation. Some of you are facing incredible trials that just, it's beyond your comprehension how you can go through it. I understand that, but here's, what, here's where faith comes in. You have to know that he does, that he knows, that he understands, that he sees, and he hears you.
He wants to provide the strength and the power for you to be able to get through that to get through the temptation, to get through the trial. He wants to provide the deliverance that only he can provide if you'll open up your heart and let him. Only you know how much you want to invite God in. Only you know how much you're willing to let him provide what only he can provide. Uh, Could I ask you, could I challenge you tonight to just say yes, okay, God. Every temptation, every failure in my life, I, you know them all. I need you. I, I know how weak I am. Now remind me of how strong you are. Right here, remind me of how strong you are. I can only make it with your help. I can only make it with your strength. And so I surrender everything. I want to pray for you across the auditorium. And I'm just going to lead you in prayer. And you can pray the ideas that I pray, and you just pray and maybe under your breath and follow me in prayer. Let's, let's go to God and let's ask him to save us and rescue us. Father, thank you for Jesus who shows us the way. Father, forgive us for our own failures and our own sins. Forgive us for shaking our fists at you. Forgive us for resisting you when we should have been resisting the enemy. Forgive us for not submitting to you fully and totally. We're so sorry. Father, we pray for grace. Pray for healing. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to do do a miracle in us here in this room. Do a miracle in our lives to help us understand what's available. To help us to focus on the good gifts that you're willing to give us. And to help us to stand firm in the promises that we don't have to fear because you are with us. Because you are with us. Father, I pray that for every person here. Lord, would you give us a fresh start tonight? Give people a a new start in their life with you. Lord, we choose to surrender everything. We choose to lay it all out before you. Here it is. Here we are. We got nothing else. Come and take us. All our burdens, all our cares, all our anxieties, all our worries. Lord, don't lead us into temptation. Don't don't leave us as we're going through temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We want to live for you. We want to rely on you. Do what only you can do in us. We receive your forgiveness. We receive your grace tonight. Forgive us for the past. Help, Help us to escape the accusation of the enemy that wants to steal and kill and destroy our lives. In the name of Jesus, we break the power of the memories that fight against us, and we ask you to give us a new start, a new sense of faith and trust that you can and will intervene. Father, we pray this. We ask you. We're desperate for you. We humble ourselves and we invite you and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We receive from you now. In Jesus' name. Amen.